Hello and welcome to the Overland Journal podcast. I'm your host, Scott Brady. My co-host, Matt Scott, is not with me today because he is at the Rebel Rally, and that is an amazing event. You should all check it out if you have not had a chance to take a look. It is a multi-day. In fact, it's the longest skills race of its kind in North America. Very cool event. Check it out, the Rebel Rally. But I do have one of our senior editors here with me today, another Matt, so it makes it very easy on me. I've decided that I'm only going to hire people that are named Chris or Matt, and so far that's worked out really well for me, so I don't have to remember anybody's name. So I can just say Matt Chris, and then somebody responds. Someone will raise their hand. Someone will raise their hand. Yeah, so I've got Matt Swartz with me today, and Matt is our senior editor for the Expedition Portal and the Overland Journal. Uh, Matt has a long history of spending time in remote areas. He does paragliding, all kinds of human-powered adventures as well. Lived for multiple years in an RV, remote areas of the country. Currently drives 2,500 Ram with an Airstream behind it. And Matt has been fortunate to go on a bunch of different vehicle launches recently. So we're going to spend some time today talking about the vehicle launches that Matt has been on and the vehicle launches I have been on. There's some very interesting vehicles that are coming to the market that we want to talk about and let you guys know. Thanks to this week's sponsor, GCI Outdoor. Whether you're heading out for a weekend of adventure in the woods or to your backyard fire pit, GCI Outdoor gear is ready for whatever you have planned. GCI Outdoor has been around for 25 years, so they know what they're doing when it comes to the best in portable recreation gear. GCI has innovative products ranging from outdoor rockers to complete camp kitchens and everything in between. And with a limited lifetime warranty, you know they stand behind everything they make. GCI outdoor gear is comfortable, durable, and built for adventures, big and small. Try them out for yourself. Head over to their website at GCIoutdoor.com and save 10% off your first purchase when you sign up for their email list. Thanks again, GCI. So we're going to start off with the new Tundra. Cool. Yeah, because that is an important one for our audience because it is one of the most popular brands within the Overland segment, being Toyota. And then the Tundra continues to gain in popularity as we see full-size trucks in general increase in popularity. And in fact, that's part of your motivation. What motivated you to go full size? I've wanted a truck for a long time and and my partner Amanda did too. Uh, just the utility that you get out of them is is so cool for adventuring. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like you mentioned, you know, we have a lot of human powered endeavors, hiking, paragliding is the big one right now. You really need a truck to haul the gear and get to the places where you do these things. So Previously, we drove a Prius also, so <laughs> it was pretty limited for you know anything off the highway. So yeah, we knew we wanted a truck, but we had actually been looking at Toyota trucks, smaller you know Tacomas at yeah, first. Yeah, I remember you mentioning that. Yeah, and you know I love that platform. It's super fun and driven them. Anyone that's driven a Tacoma generally has a good experience, except when it comes to towing or payload. Yeah, uh, they're limited there, which you know I wouldn't say it's a, a negative of the platform. It's just a reality of that midsize truck. And so when we started thinking about being on the road again because we had been living in Denver. Uh, We were kind of getting itchy feet and we weren't sure exactly what our plans were. And then we got in an Airstream. We fell in love with it. We said, this is what we want to do. Now we need to find a truck that can get us where we want to get to, but can also pull an 8,000 pound trailer. Mm -hmm. So that's where the full size truck platform came in. And they have so much flexibility as you as you talked about, and we're seeing them growing rapidly within the community. People are finding the limits of the mid-sized trucks and they're finding the limits of these smaller SUVs. And to be able to get the kind of um, either equipment that you want to bring along or a level of camping comfort that may maybe is important to you, that's when the full size start to really make a difference. And the Tundra has been very popular, but again, they tend to be overbuilt by the owners. So they tend to get too heavy. And that's that's why we're seeing more and more of the three-quarter ton and the one-ton domestic products being used for that. The new Tundra, the 2022 Tundra, it starts to address a few of those concerns. So it was great to see the vehicle. About a month ago, I went near their facility in Plano, Texas, and I was able to see the vehicle in person, make a bunch of notes. We did a pretty extensive article on that for Expedition Portal. But then just last week, I was able to go and drive the truck. And I came away with a lot of praise for the vehicle, uh, a few things that are just of note. They're not necessarily criticisms, but they're definitely uh, items to note for someone who's looking to purchase one. But the first First thing is they've really improved the capability of the truck. Previously, when you got a Tundra, you got this great 5.7 V8 
super powerful, also very reliable, was used in the Land Cruiser globally. It just provided a great platform for a kind of a general runabout full-size truck, but it never had a rear locking differential. So you relied entirely on traction control to navigate technical terrain and the traction control was never that good. So that was the big difficulty is you had a V8 with a lot of torque and power. You had fairly poor performing throttle modulation from the vehicle. So we talk about it in technical terms as tip-in. When you first apply gas to the accelerator, the Tundra, because of the V8 and because of the way that they tuned the throttle, it would put a bunch of power down initially, which when you go for a test drive, it feels great. You feel like you're buying this really powerful vehicle. And that's why manufacturers do that. They do that for a reason to give this sense of power and authority in the vehicle for a very positive test drive, makes for a very positive initial ownership. But on on the trail, it's a lot more difficult to manage and to to modulate. Well, and it, it makes sense because, I mean, you may have a better idea of the statistic, but I've heard that something like it's like 75% of truck owners won't even ever take them on the dirt. Yeah. Might not even use the bed. So, I mean, they're really designing that for the majority, you know, and for those majority of people, that's not going to be a bad thing. Like you said, that's it's your true. first experience behind the wheel and you've got power and you're like, oh, this is great. Yeah, totally. And it's, and the, and the five, seven sounds great and all those other things. And then they released the TRD pro model, which interestingly enough, I was actually able to drive that up to the to Prudhoe Bay and above the Arctic Circle. So I was able to experience that vehicle in pretty wide range of conditions. But the nice thing about the new truck is that it does have a lot of power. In fact, it has more power than the V8. It's a twin turbo now, right? It is. It yeah. is. So if you buy an SR5, uh, you get a twin turbo V6 uh, and it makes uh, good power. It makes very similar numbers to the outgoing V8. Or you can get the hybrid model, which is the iForce Max. And that has 430 plus horsepower. It has 580 plus foot pounds of torque. It wow. is it is a very powerful vehicle to drive. Uh, impressive in that regard, for sure. How they've addressed that, those problems with traction and the traction control is you can now get a rear locking differential. So that's, that's the first huge win with this new 2022 Tundra. You can get a driver selectable rear locking differential. Is that standard equipment or is that an option? It's an option package. Okay. So if you were to buy an SR5, which I've, as we kind of go through this, we'll talk about the vehicles that how we would, how we would prep them ourselves. But I would personally not do the TRD pro because I would want to maximize payload. So I would go with an SR5 model and then just put on the option package of the TRD. Uh, and the TRD gives you that rear locking differential, which is super important. Now on, if you have multi-terrain select, which you can get with the TRD package or with the TRD Pro, you can put it into rock mode. And then Toyota has done this very clever thing where they have remapped the throttle in rock crawling. Oh, wow. So it gives this very soft tip in, which makes a huge difference in controllability. So we now have the most capable Tundra ever produced from Toyota, and that's by a wide margin. So you've got a locking differential, which settles everything down. You have great throttle modulation. You have really impressive approach departure breakover angles compared to the outgoing model as well. Plenty of ground clearance. The TRD Pro includes an over an inch of lift from the factory um, in the front. So it's more of kind of a leveling if you think of it that way. So better ground clearance as well. Some Falcon all-terrain tires on there. This vehicle is a big improvement with regards to that. The other big news with 2020 22 Tundra is that it's built on what they call their F1 chassis, which is, I think that's kind of a fun thing. I mean, F1, right? But <laughs> who doesn't but, want an F1 chassis? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So we have this F1 chassis is what they call it, which is the same chassis that they use for the 300 series Land Cruiser. So you is have, this, does this come back to where you were calling the new Tundra, the new Land Cruiser. It is because we're not going to get the 300 series Land Cruiser, at least not initially. And most likely we're going to only see it as a Lexus variant, um, which it isn't the end of the world. At least we can get a version of a Land Cruiser sure. here. It's pretty amazing that Toyota recognizes the advantage of starting to pair this world-class global platform of the Land Cruiser with some of the models that we get here in North America. So that's a huge win for the consumer. This uh, frame is incredibly impressive. I actually went to the factory where they make the frame and it is 10% lighter and 20% stronger than the outgoing frame. That it seems is. to be kind of a, a trend. I've seen that with a bunch of the new vehicles, like some of the other ones we're going to talk about, the TRX. Mm. It's like, it's lighter, but it's stronger. Yeah. yeah. And, and how Toyota does that is they, they strategically place these thicker pieces of metal on the frame and it's all robotic welded. In fact, the blanks for the frame come in on robotic forklift and then it goes through the entire process 
without a human being touching it. Um, it is extremely sophisticated. Every single frame is 100% tested for the depth of the weld, the quality of the weld, all of these very, very tight tolerances. So you end up with a Land Cruiser frame underneath a Toyota Tundra, which that in of itself is notable. But with that, you gain a five-link rear suspension. So it's the first of the Toyotas to have a five-link. And I suspect that we're going to see that extend on to the Tacoma as well. It's going to only make sense. They're, gonna, they're learning all of this great information about how to do that. So, so for someone like me who is adventuring is like, I've grown up adventuring, but vehicles are a new component of adventuring to me. Sure. So tell me a little bit about five link suspension as someone who doesn't know some of these more technical details, because by doing that, they got rid of the leaf spring suspension in that truck. Right. And that's kind of a big deal. It's the first time they've done that on that platform. It is. And they're, and they're, they each have their advantages. So a leaf sprung suspension has an ability to manage a much wider range of weight. It can be a little bit better ride quality when unloaded and then it can be very heavily loaded without a whole bunch of squat uh, in the rear, which is why most three quarter ton and one ton trucks still have leaf springs in the rear. They're also very simple and they're less expensive to produce. The advantage of the five link is that you can typically gain articulation from that. Got it. You gain ride quality. And the most important thing is you gain a huge step up in handling and ride quality. So the handling improves because you now have these five links that are isolating the rear axle in exactly the path of travel that the designer wants it to work. So you don't get a lot of flex from the springs um, when you're coming around, like let's say a higher speed corner, you don't get all that deflection of the leaf pack. It all is very much stays planted and it gives a lot better control over that. You also don't get any axle hop. So one of the things that we don't like about leaf sprung vehicles is that when you're on a corrugated road or you go to take off, they really can... Yeah can hop. You get that, that chatter. Exactly. And and that goes away other than if there's already corrugations on the road, you'll feel those cycling. It doesn't impart additional chatter from the suspension. So that's why most SUVs that have a solid rear axle are a five link rear because they're very isolating. They're very controllable. They're very consistent. They're very confidence inspiring to the driver. But then again, the downside is managing the weight and Toyota does that on the Tundra. They handle that on some of the models by including airbag suspension. So once you have a five link with airbags, now you've solved all of that variability in the payload. So if it's a lightly loaded truck, rides great. If it's a heavily loaded truck, it rides great. So TRD Pro doesn't come that way. Um, the TRD, anything with the locker, you can't get the airbag suspension, which some people will see that as an advantage because it's less complex. I actually am a huge fan of Toyota air suspensions. I had one in my on my Lexus and um, very reliable. Toyota's got that all figured out. It's not the air suspensions of old where you're always worried about them failing. Got it. They're much better now. But yeah, that five link is, is a real upside. Now, here's the interesting thing, and it's worth noting on the Tundra, the airbag suspension system um, is not available on the TRD or the TRD Pro, the coil sprung version actually has a little bit less articulation than the leaf sprung version. So people will oftentimes think like, uh, leaf springs are going to have less articulation. That's not always the case. It's just important for people to know when they buy this new Tundra that it actually has a little bit less flex. And the reason for that is that the shocks are outboard of the frame and because of the packaging, they can only be so long. So the articulation is only limited by the shock length. So that's really easy to fix with the aftermarket. Got it, so got you it. shouldn't, you shouldn't not buy it because it has a little bit less flex than the other version, but it's important to note that the aftermarket will respond with longer shock packaging and some adjustments to the mounting configuration to allow for, I suspect, a ton of flex out of the back of these Tundras. We were just talking about that the other day. I was asking you about articulation with lift insulation and do you get more? And you said not automatically. Yeah. So it depends on the vehicle, depends on the lift that you're putting on it. Exactly. So overall, the new Tundra, it's, it's a impressive vehicle. It's a huge step up from the outgoing model. I think that it's going to be extremely popular. They're anticipating a quarter million units a year. This facility that I saw in San Antonio was massive. I mean, they are ready to make a lot of trucks and there's a lot that I like about it. In fact, on the TRD Pro, the only thing that there's two things I didn't care for, the payload's only 1600 pounds, which again is an improvement over the outgoing model. And then it has this super red interior. I saw those is, photos. Yeah. It's like, and I get it. Like it, it's, it's supposed to be the sporty fun model and probably I'm not the right buyer for that interior, but I think some people will love it. But for me, they make a 1794 model, which is named after the ranch that the factory is built on. 
Got it. So that ranch was opened in 1794 and that interior is beautiful. It's super overlandy with like, like wood and oh, nice. like camel colored leather and stuff uh, like that. So it's really, it's really a, a, a little handsome, bit of a vintage feel. Yeah. It's super handsome interior and you can get the 1794 with the TRD package. So you can kind of get what you want, which is nice. You can make, make that selection. So overall, a big thumbs up for me on the Tundra. I think it's a great new option for people to consider. Payload is up so you can get an SR5 with a TRD package and you can get up into the high 1800 pound range on payload, which is a big improvement over the outgoing model. So yeah, Tundra is nice. a nice one. Nice. Yeah. Well, I hope I get to drive one at some point. It sounds like oh, a- I think we'll get one here for some longer term testing, which I think will be, will be good. But you drove yeah. the kind of the opposite of that. You drove the TRX super truck. And what, what did you think of that? Yeah. Well, um, it's the first super truck I've ever driven. You know, I haven't driven too many trucks period. So, um, yeah, yeah it's, it's a pretty wild vehicle. You know, it has that Hellcat uh, engine. At yeah. 6.4, I think. Yeah. 6.4. 6.4. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So it's big. It makes 702 horsepower. <laughs> I don't remember the, the specs on the torque, but it's a lot. No, I but, think you're, I think you're right. I'm picturing the 6.2. I don't know. Yeah. Oh yeah. Maybe there's a, there's a 6.4 and then there's a six, there's a couple different variants, but yeah. sure. Mon- um, monster engine, monster engine. It sounds really nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The sound when you bury the accelerator on that is just wild. It's a very, you know, uh, like visceral, kind of yeah. emotional feeling. Totally. Um, and I'm not one for that kind of thing. I, I've never owned a fast car in my life. Like I've owned a, I owned a 2001 Subaru Forester. That was the first car I ever owned. Yeah. It wasn't a turbo. It was mm. slow, you know, and then we had a Prius and now we have a truck and, um, but yeah, so the TRX, uh, super cool vehicle. We got to drive it in the cinders, um, up by Flagstaff, which That's is a nice spot for that. Oh yeah. I mean, it's, if you could come up with the perfect place to demonstrate the capability of that truck, that's it. You know, maybe that or Baja, I don't mm-hmm. know, you know, driving on some sand, but the truck has the incredible power, but that truck also has a really great suspension from Bilstein and active suspension, which is cool. So it's actually adjusting in real time to the train, which is, um, when you're behind the wheel of it, it's, it's just such a comfortable experience, mm. um, on, on such a variety, you know, we drove on some straightaways fast, which they look flat, but they're actually bumpy. Sure. And, um, just the truck's ability to make up for those bumps was incredible. It's surprising at speed that it could handle terrain like that so well. And it has the five link in the rear on that too. So again, very controllable. Yeah. And one of the things that I think is interesting about a lot of these new vehicles with the increased capability is it gives the driver so much confidence. So you were driving that truck likely faster than you would ever consider driving a vehicle on that terrain. Oh yeah. And yeah, yeah. I would never drive my personal truck like that. Um, you know, but I was encouraged to drive it like that, <laughs> yeah. uh, kind of that, like drive it, like you stole it. Um, but, but how fun is that to just like have someone say, oh, like, we really believe in this truck. Oh, why don't you see what it can do? Yeah. I mean, it's a blast. It, we started off our test by using the launch control feature, which is really cool. You know, it lets you set a predetermined RPM range that the engine will hold at, even when you're flooring the accelerator. So, Mm. so you basically hit the launch button, you stand on the brake, you get on the display. It actually shows you the PSI that you're generating with the brakes. So you hold the brakes, you jam the accelerator to the floor, you know, you watch the tachometer go up and it holds at your predetermined RPM range. And then you let off the brake and it takes off. So (laughs) I think it goes zero to 60 in just under four seconds or somewhere around. Yeah. I think if you read on the Ram website, they say 4.5 seconds, but I've since found a lot of people who have, you know, third parties who have driven it and tested it and they've, they've gotten it under four seconds. I've heard as little as three and a half, which I don't know if that's accurate, but yeah, it's, it's wild. And I mean, so we were driving it mostly on, on these cinders. So this loose material, we obviously aired down the tires significantly because it is so loose. Mm -hmm. Um, but it was still just wild how well it did, how it, how it managed to float over that terrain. We did, um, kind of some slow, narrow trail sections where we got to, you know, experience the articulation that the truck has. And and it's actually very good. There were some pretty off camber and cross axle sections. And I don't recall ever losing wheel contact. Yeah. Um, It's long travel for sure. Yeah. I I believe you get 13 inches of travel on all four corners of the truck, which is, I'm not sure how that stacks up in the segment, but I assume it's pretty good. That's yeah, that's really good. And, and Matt Scott has one as well. And he, he praises the vehicle. And if you think of it from, if you wanted to own one vehicle, you kind of end up with a sports car and you end up with the desert racing. It would be your version of a UTV or something like that. And then you can also take it on technical terrain.
terrain because it has locking differential and it, it, it has those capabilities for it, differential. It definitely has locking differential um, and it has, yeah, yeah, it has selectable driving modes yeah. too. You get, we drove it in Baja mode most of the time, which yeah. I think it turns off traction control and it, you know, it really just loosens the truck up and I mean, let you hang it out there. Yeah. It's, it's so fun. We did a high marking exercise in this uh, volcanic crater, which is like, <laughs> yeah. this is work apparently, um, you know, but it was incredible. So, you know, driving it up this steep hillside. And then this was a really interesting thing because a truck that has this much power and these many features, you still have to rely on your driving prowess, mm. you know, because you can still bury a truck like this. And oh, for sure. One Qu- of the, quickly. Yeah. One of our participants did. They, you know, they, they came up around the high part of this exercise and then down through the loose cinders and they didn't quite carry enough power and they bogged down and then they floored it after they lost momentum and they just sank right down, you know, just about to the axles and it's no fault of the truck. Um, So we pulled out the max tracks, we did some digging, we got it out, no problem. Yeah. What a fun vehicle. I mean, in my mind, it just does so many different things. It just doesn't have any payload. So you basically, you bring a backpack along and go and go have some smiles. I mean, it's just, you don't really load it up. I think it's under a thousand pounds of payload. So yeah, it's not much. And the, and the towing's limited too, you know, which it's not meant for that no no it's not it's i think the thing that comes to mind with that truck is fun it's it is about fun it feels a little bit like toy you know an expensive toy but it feels like a toy it's fast it's sporty Mm -hmm. i mean kind of like the toyota the interior is a statement you know it's very sporty you've got this like suede and leather wrapped steering wheel you've got a big you know, touchscreen display, you've got a loud stereo. Sure. Uh, it's just beautiful and comfortable and it's, it's super fun. I mean, if I, I win the Powerball, <laughs> that's what you're getting. That's yeah. I've, I've said that a few times now, you know, not exactly practical for my lifestyle right now, but man, if I could afford to have a second vehicle just for fun, that would maybe be high on my list right now. Well, and I'm thinking just going down Baja, you bring a tent spear fishing stuff and throw it in the bed and just, I mean, it would be great on next one. It would be great on all the back roads. Yeah. It'd I think, be a super fun vehicle for I that. I think like you said, you know, as long as you don't need to load it up with payload, if you can go super light, maybe, you know, yeah, yeah. I think it'd be a fun travel vehicle for sure. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> oh, fun. Awesome. Well, let's pivot a little bit. You also drove the, the Subaru Outback Wilderness, which there's, there's an enormous amount of interest in this vehicle because Subaru's they have this reputation for reliability and durability for a car. And then they have slowly added capability through the years uh, with improved traction control, additional ground clearance, better approach and departure angles. Subaru keeps pushing the envelope of crossing the lines between basically a, a car and a, and a high clearance crossover car. Um, what was your thoughts on the wilderness? Subaru is probably the car that I have the longest relationship with. My mm. first car was a Forester. My family all, I grew up on the East Coast. So in the Northeast, so everyone that doesn't have a truck generally drives a Subaru, you know, so that you don't get stuck in the snow. So driving the wilderness edition was very reminiscent of driving other Subarus. Um, it was very comfortable. First of all, I mean, the, the one that we were in, it's, you know, it's comfortable interior leather loaded, um, loaded up, loaded. It's got great driving features. It has selectable driving modes that are kind of akin to the stuff we've been talking about already, you know, like a rock and sand mode and car does a a great job of, um, adapting to the terrain. Mm. So we use some of those. Um, I got to drive on some steep, uh, loose and, and rocky terrain that is maybe a little bit more technical than what most people would want to take a Subaru on. And this car did fantastic actually, Mm. um, a little bit of slip here and there, but that was, I think more my fault, you know, just because this is a different kind of driving style. It's sure. it's not four wheel drive. It doesn't have a locker. It's all wheel drive. You know, I didn't have big knobby tires on it, had some AT tires, but so it took a little bit more skill to get through some of the more technical terrain that other vehicles just had no problem with. But it sounds like it also did it. It went everywhere it did else. It. The other vehicles went, it did it. It has the, the wilderness edition. I believe they give it a little lift. They, they go down to, I think it was a 17 inch wheel with mm. a bigger tire. Nice. They have skid plating on it. It's got the turbo uh, engine. So it's got a good amount of power. Is it a CVT or is it a, does it shift and does it have a continuously variable transmission or does it That's have, a good question. have gears? Um, I think it was a CVT. Hmm. Um, don't hold me to that. Yeah, We'll, we'll check that out. Yeah, we can look at that, but, um, super comfortable to drive surprisingly capable for what it was. And then when you get on the, just the dirt, that's not technical. Mm. I feel like that's its sweet spot. I mean, it, you can drive it fast and it just 
it sticks. It doesn't, it doesn't get loose in the corners. Yeah. It's, it's feels like a rally car kind of, or what you picture is, a rally car, which is fun. And it's, it's a rally car with a little bit of a lift. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of their roots for off-road stuff, right? Like yeah. Subaru is big in the rally world and yeah. Yeah. Great car. I mean, uh, and I had a rooftop tent set up on it. You know, they had interesting. It, yeah. They had it set up for having fun going out into the backcountry. And, uh, on this trip, this was, uh, prior to Overland Expo mm. West in Flagstaff. And we went up to the North rim of the Grand Canyon and we had a whole handful of vehicles and I mean, some really, really capable vehicles. And sure. I would say this is probably one of the least capable in the group, but it hung, it had no issue. It, it made it, it did. It did everything route. that the other trucks did. It never got stuck. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. There's a lot to say about a Subaru, the, something that you can drive every day, get reasonable gas mileage out of it. And then definitely, I, I think the key to them is not to over modify them. We see a lot of them that get too heavy. Um, and then it just starts to ruin the attributes of the vehicle, like the gas mileage plummets typically when you over modify them. Sure. So, I destroyed yeah. my Subaru by hauling firewood. I would just go and cut full trees, <laughs> buck them into six foot pieces, put them in the back. And obviously my suspension suffered. Yeah. But I think one of the other really cool things about the Subaru, and, th- and this was something that came up on our test drive, but you know, it, it's valuable for everyone to know about is, is the value you get out of this vehicle. It's under 40 K Yeah, and it's got a turbo, it's got skid plating, it's lifted. It can do many overland adventures that you would want to do, but it's less than 40 K. And that's something you can't say about many of the vehicles that we talk about, you know, especially when you get into modifying them. So, um, just to be able to, to enter this overland, you know, for a new vehicle, right. Sure. But, um, you know, to have an option for, like you said, something that you can daily drive and it feels like a practical daily driver, but you can also take on an adventure like this. That's super cool. Um, and that's awesome because, you know, it's great to see more vehicles coming to market that will allow people to explore the space that we like to play in because it's so cool, but it shouldn't feel like an exclusive space and you don't need this, you know, you don't need a crazy super truck to go do that. You can yeah. get a Subaru. And they're kind of small and nimble. And you were with us that day when we were, we took the Ranger out and we took that Wrangler out and we had that problem with the brakes locking up on the Ranger. So we had to just kind of leave it there. I hopped in Aaron, my girlfriend's Subaru and we, you know, so we're in her, it's stock vehicle, Subaru Forester, totally stock. And we drove all the way in on that trail to go get the Ranger and it was no trouble. And and it wasn't even like, oh, I'm going to drive it because it's technical terrain. I mean, she's a good driver and there was no reason to swap out. So I actually got out and took some photos nice. and like rutted, you know, deep roots and, and deep ruts and little rocks and stuff. And the car just literally didn't even hiccup didn't even spin a tire through the whole thing and it makes you realize that maybe we kind of overgame it too much when something that's simple and close to stock is usually the best option yeah i mean it's just a good reminder you know it's fun to have the vehicle with all the bells and whistles but you can get by with something much simpler and for a lot of people that's going to be more appealing because not everyone wants to take the time or spend the money to to do what we do to some of these vehicles. Totally. Well, that's a good example. So like with my Sierra, I've got the camper on there and everything else. I just don't drive it as often as a daily driver anymore because it's kind of set up for travel. So now we take her car a lot of the time. And so I'm going to get a little spring lift for it. I'm going to get a little bit bigger tire. That's all I'm going to do. Right. It's just a couple little things because we take it hiking and take the bikes out. I mean, and just to have a little bit more capability, maybe kind of along the lines of the wilderness. Yeah. And then you've got a super capable little vehicle that can get you where you want to go. Yeah, yeah. that's pretty fun. Well, I'm glad yeah. you got a chance to test that because it's a vehicle that I think there's a lot of interest. In fact, some of our most popular articles have been about Subarus. So there's a lot of people that want to use them for this kind of travel. So yeah. And now for a quick break from one of our supporters, Onyx Offroad. If you're driving or riding on dirt this summer, don't leave home without the Onyx Off-Road GPS app. For less than a tank of gas, get access to 550,000 miles of trails and roads and 985 million acres of public land for camping, fishing, exploring, and all of your outdoor adventures. Onyx Off-Road maps are fully interactive, meaning you can tap anywhere on the map for detailed information. Check out featured trails for trail descriptions, photos, difficulty ratings, and more. Your maps will even work without cell coverage, so you never have to worry about getting lost. Go to onyxoffroad.com and use the code OJ at checkout for 20% off right now. Thanks, Onyx. 
we're going to pivot it back, back again, the extreme okay. opposite direction again from the TRX to the Hummer. Yeah. I want to hear about this one. A couple of weeks ago, I had the chance to be one of the first to drive the Hummer EV. It is, yeah, it's, it's difficult to describe because it is so contrary to most of our experiences driving vehicles. So it weighs 9,000 pounds. That's a big, a big vehicle. Yeah. So it weighs more than any, I mean, it weighs more than your Ram, for example. Sure. I mean, it's just, it's extremely heavy because of the batteries and all of the hardware and, and the size of the hardware that needs to be on it to handle all of that power. And then it makes thousand horsepower mm-hmm. and it makes the, the electric vehicle equivalent of 11,000 foot pounds of torque. which is insane. Does that, does that equate to torque in a gasoline engine? Like, is it that as if you had 11,000 foot pounds of torque in a gasoline engine? It's the, it's their equivalent of it. So it's, it's like, it's like trying to compare an internal combustion engine fuel economy to electric fuel economy. It's like a, it's like a confusing, it's like a calculation that, that kind of takes it into consideration. Um, it feels like 11,000 foot pounds of torque. Wow. I mean, it is, I mean, I'll just start with, with the fact that it has a, this mode that's called WTF. I remember writing about this when it, when it came up. Yeah. Which, which <laughs> means Watts to freedom, but right, of course. it actually means exactly what you think it means. <laughs> Cause when that thing launches, zero to 60. That's exactly what you say in oh, your I'm mind. Sure. It, you actually don't say anything at first because you're trying to capture breath and right. not, and not slam your head into the headrest. I was going to say you're getting pinned back into <laughs> yeah, your seat. So. I watched your video, which is on the YouTube channel. <laughs> yeah. And it, I mean, it looks like it's, you're it's, in a race car. It, yeah. It was incredible. It was incredible. I mean, and I was, I was anticipating it. I mean, I knew it was going to launch hard. There was no way I could hold myself in that position on the seat. I was pinned against the headrest and yeah, zero to 60 in three seconds. Wow. Um, it must have a pretty decent traction control system too, then to, to manage all of that power without just immediately losing traction and giving you wheel spin. In fact, I would say that is, that is the greatest engineering feat that they accomplished is managing that amount of power in the seamless way that it does. So we always think about like Land Rover or Jeep when it comes to traction control and those kinds of systems, GM has absolutely nailed it with this to have that kind of power and for it to, it to break the tires free. So it'll actually, you can hear the tires squealing, mm-hmm. but it doesn't just light them up and then you lose performance going forward. It's very seamless. You don't feel it cutting the power. It just feeds this tremendous amount of torque uh, to these tires. Now it has like the equivalent of a 35, 1250 tire on there. It's a custom made tire specifically for the Hummer to be able to handle that, that kind of power. And it'll take a 37 with essentially no modification. So it's just incredible to go that fast, like a sports car or faster than most sports cars, still be able to have a 37 inch tall tire. You know, it's got the equivalent of, of a, a virtual rear locking differential because it has two motors in the rear. Okay. So the motors work together to create the effect of a locker. So it's two in the rear. Is it one in the front? One in the front. Okay. Yeah. Which is different from like the Rivian, which has four motors and the one in the front, it feeds a differential like we would have on a standard four wheel drive in the front. Interesting. And then, so and it's then, kind of like a hybrid. It is. Because a lot of electric hybrid vehicles, they yeah. do just four wheel. They do a motor per wheel, right? Correct. Um, like a Tesla will do two motors that feed to differentials. Oh, they do differential too. Yeah. And it yeah. depends on the, it de- just depends on the design. The Rivian one is quite interesting because then it has total control over each wheel, which actually allows it to do that tank mode. So it can, it can rotate in its, within its, within its wheelbase. And that's all the interesting stuff that comes with an electric vehicle. You can just do things that internal combustion didn't allow and you can think outside the box. And they really did that with the Hummer. I mean, it has a front locking differential. I found an interesting situation. We were in the rocks and these were fairly large boulders. I mean, it would be a challenge even for a Rubicon Wrangler. And I was going very slow because I was trying to get a sense for how the vehicle, you know, modulated all that kind of power. And I had the, the front right up against a ledge and the rear left up against a ledge. And I kind of stopped up against the ledge and I was trying to see how it would, how much tractive performance it had. And what's the interesting thing about electric motors until they get moving a little bit, they actually don't have, they don't have that kind of power. So it's not like it's sitting there idling or at, at a low RPM, like it would with an automatic transmission or with the manual transmission. It's, you know, the engine's just sitting there idling at a certain amount of RPM. So it's already got some mass in motion. The electric motor is not moving at all. So if you're up against a ledge and the motor isn't moving at all, you aren't making 
even a fraction of that power. So I actually was able to stall the electric motors wow. because because it was trying to do brake traction control at the same time as climbing the ledge, which was too much for the weight of the vehicle. Got it. So how I solved it was I did the virtual locking in the rear and then I did the front locking differential. So now the brake traction control is not robbing torque from the system. Sure. And it climbed right up the rock. No problem. No problem. So it was really, but that was an interesting thing is that with an electric vehicle, you don't really want to come to a stop. Like even if it's just the wheels are barely rolling, Got it. That's going to be an ideal way to get through technical terrain. Like coming to a full stop up against a ledge, it's pretty difficult for an electric motor to overcome that, especially in a 9,000 pound vehicle. So now this is just to clarify again, you know, try and understand it from a technical perspective. Electric motors do do have full torque at the bottom of the RPM range, right? But they this, do. what you're describing right now is a little bit different. Yeah. So with- the motor has to start moving in order for it to generate all of that torque. Got it. So the fact that the, that the motors were stopped and then they were having to overcome all of that resistance of a 9,000 pound vehicle. It couldn't even get moving, couldn't even get the motor turning fast enough to begin to generate all of that insane amount of torque. Got it. Got so, it. So um, that's where another way to solve it would have been, I could have backed up two inches and then little momentum. Yeah. And then yeah. it would have, it wouldn't even had to have been a lot of momentum, just right. something to get the motor turning and then it would have solved the problem. But it just means that as we start to use electric vehicles more in the backcountry, there'll be a little bit of a learning curve for us as drivers drivers of like, okay, this is how this system works. And this is, this is how we can help it optimize for performance. And that was, so that was an interesting revelation with that. What kind of, um, can you comment on like what kind of range you actually got with the off-road driving? Was it still pretty good? It was difficult to know because I mean, we used hardly any power, but it was a fairly short route um, because it was, it was really just a first drive. These were still prototypes. Um, they were, had a lot of even 3d printed components and stuff still oh, wow. on them. And, and, uh, but they were functionally like there. production. Yeah. They were very, very, yeah. very close. Um, but I think that based upon what they're saying, 300 to 350 mile range, I think if you're in mixed terrain, like I'm thinking an ideal situation would be like in Colorado when mm-hmm. you're up in the mountains, because first of all, the electric motor doesn't care about atmospheric pressure. Right. So like, yeah, you're not worried about fuel nope. ratios to air. It, nope. It's, it's indifferent to changes. Totally indifferent, which yep. means you're making just as much power at 12,000 feet as you are at sea level. Um, it's not affected by that at all. So that's one big advantage uh, for the electric. Sure. And then when you're going up and down hills, you can take advantage of the regen. Right. So yeah, if you're doing like a long descent off a pass in Colorado, I yep. mean, you, you're talking like you could be doing five to 10 miles of downhill. Correct. I don't know what kind of regen that gets you, but I mean, you're it's actually a, getting some power back. It's a lot because yeah. those those motor generators, they generate an enormous amount of power in regen. And it gives you great control on the way down too, right? It, I mean, it does. It's amazing. Yeah. It's totally amazing. And it actually has a low selector on the gear shifter. It's not a gear shifter on sure. the suggestion of a gear shifter. <laughs> um, so you have a standard driving mode and then you have a low and the low changes the way that the motor interacts with the, with the throttle. And it also engages regen much more quickly. So it's like being in low range. Um, and then this was very clever. I've never seen this before in an electric vehicle, but it has like, we would have a paddle shifter at the steering wheel. It's on the left side. There's a regen paddle. Okay. So when you're coming down off of a, a ledge or whatever, you can grab full regen and it will nearly bring the thing to a stop. So it's almost like engine braking at your fingertips on yes. the steering wheel. It's incredible. Interesting. And this is when it gets even more fun. So you're coming, you're on, you're driving fast on a gravel road, mm-hmm. coming around a big sweeper and you want to step the rear end out. You don't even have to do it with the accelerator. You can just grab a handful of that regen and it just rotates the car around. Really? And it'll, you can, then you can feed into the throttle and it'll just hang this beautiful drift all oh, the way boy. around the corner. So, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's really, it's really fun. It's extremely capable. We have to talk obviously about the contrary to that, which is it's also $112,000. So it's a very expensive vehicle. But again, in the context of a King Ranch F-350, it's, it's just a little bit more money. It's not as much as we would think with how expensive new cars have gotten. Sure. So, um, but it is very expensive. 112,000 bucks is a lot of money. As these manufacturers come online, the infrastructure has not quite come up to be able to support electric for a lot of backcountry use. Sure. So like 
for example, you could do the El Camino del Diablo trail in Arizona because it is, it's the longest unsupported route at 156 miles. You would have access to charging on both ends where it would get complicated would be, I'm going to go into Southern Utah and I'm going to kind of bounce around in the mountains and in the, in the desert with just these small little towns where we would normally get gas. Um, There's not charging infrastructure there yet. So until some charging infrastructure develops where you would find a rural gas station, that's going to become more difficult. But yeah. once that happens, then you're you're looking at essentially the same range as you have with a current oil drive. It, it is the reason why I like these small displacement diesels like in the Sierra that I drive because I get 600 plus mile range. That's incredible. Which is really incredible. And yeah. in your truck, you can add a larger fuel tank and you could easily match that as well. So then you're out, you're down in Baja and you, you're driving for weeks without needing to refuel in the backcountry because you have so much range, whereas that would be an impossibility currently right. with electric. It seems like for uh, off-highway use for, for electric vehicles, the yeah. hybrid still kind of has the edge because yeah. you get some electric power. You can, you know, with some of these hybrids, you can drive in pure electric mode, but then you have the backup of the gasoline or diesel engine or whatever it is. Um, so you're not going to get stranded necessarily. <laughs> well, yeah, which is a perfect segue way into talking about the Wrangler yeah, or by yeah. E. I mean, that one was the, it was the first hybrid or, or electric that got me the most excited because it was literally a perfect solution the day that it dropped. Like you could use that vehicle, however you would normally use an overland vehicle, but then you could also drive a short commute without ever you consuming any fuel. Is that correct? It'll go in an yeah. electric only mode. Yeah. You can, you can say electric only mode. And I think you get about 24 miles of range, uh, on pure electric driving, which is awesome. I mean, for that is awesome. 90% of people, that's going to be enough to use that vehicle as a daily driver, not spend any money on, you know, gasoline commuting to work mm-hmm. or running errands around town. And then you can go and do longer drives and you'll still get decent gas mileage and, but you can go on the trail and it does significant regen. Also, if you put it, there's a, there's a regen mode. I don't remember what the the term is that they use the Jeep uses for that, but I mean, you can have the electric batteries in that down to zero. You can put it in regen mode, drive it on the gasoline engine and recharge the batteries completely just through normal driving. It takes some time, obviously, you know, but um, yeah, you can recover that. And, uh, and it's, it's just, it's super cool to have a plug-in hybrid like that, Mm -hmm. you know, where you don't have to, you're not having to use the gasoline engine if you don't want again for short trips, you can really take advantage of the electric. Yeah. I mean, I think about my own habits for my own daily routine. I live 5.7 miles from the office. Yep. So be, I would never have to consume any fuel. And right now, I mean, fuel prices are going through the roof. There's a, there's a shortage on supply and a vehicle like that completely removes that as being a concern unless you're going to go do a long trip. So if you're, if you're driving a short commute every day, it doesn't really matter what the price of fuel is in that moment. If we're having this, these spikes in, in prices like we're experiencing right now. So I think that that's really useful. And then the torque of an electric motor in conjunction with a gasoline engine. Yeah. That's a really nice combination. Absolutely. I mean, when I drove that vehicle uh, down in Texas, I I wasn't wanting for any more power. Mm -hmm. I mean, it feels powerful. It takes off pretty quickly, uh, especially for uh, like a Wrangler platform, you know, how fast you want it to be. Yeah, exactly. You don't need it to be fast. It's it's not about speed with that, but uh, yeah, the combination of the electric and the gas, I think gets that. I don't, I don't remember how much horsepower and torque it generates. It's plenty. Let's just say that. And especially for, for off-road driving too. I mean, one of the really cool things about having the ability to put it in pure electric mode is if you have the power and the batteries when you're on the trail, you can do that. And it's also quiet. Yeah. So it's a very different driving experience in that way. Um, which I really like. I kind of, I didn't laugh at that suggestion that that would be significant, but I didn't quite realize how, how much I would appreciate that. I remember the some of the Hummer engineers talking about that because they do so much testing in Michigan and they'll be in these little back roads in the Hummer and you only hear like the crunching of the tires. And they said the number of times that they surprise deer and other animals when they're out there because it's so quiet. And to me, that I think is going to be one of the, one of the real upsides to electric for overlanding is we can, when we're out in the mountains and we're, we're more connected with nature a little bit. I think that there's times when the, the roar of a TRX there's nothing that brings a smile to your face faster than that. But then there's also times when you do want to be totally silent. How often do we get to be in the outback? It's not that often. So why not just fully experience that as quiet as possible? Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think that's part of, you know, we, we love getting out there into yeah. the backcountry and it's 
part of that's also just respecting the resource and the other people out there, right? Like, yeah, for sure. Not everyone wants to have a vehicle-based adventure. There are some people hiking out there, yeah. there are people mountain biking. Um, and I think, you know, this, this could help kind of break down a rift between these user groups too. You know, if I uh, think it would help. Yeah. If people it, it, like side-by-sides, right. They very loud. They make a lot of noise so much so that there are even some communities that are starting to introduce local legislation to <laughs> prevent them from, you know, yep. driving. Like we've seen this in Moab, having electric vehicles is, I think it could be a really big game changer as far as uh, off-road vehicle yeah. based recreation. And I think UTVs will eventually be electric too. I think sure. it's going to be the only way they're going to solve the problem because I mean, they're, they're so loud. It does electric vehicles seem to be the future? I mean, yeah. I, I've only my only real experience so far is driving the the four by e in pure electric mode and and driving a Tesla. I don't remember which model it was, but and then you had the hybrid F one fifty for a little while too. I did. I got to drive that too. Yeah. And I mean, I haven't no vehicle that's a hybrid or electric vehicle has let me down so far yeah. as as being capable. And yeah. it's I, I'm I'm excited for it. It does make me a little bit sad, you know, having invested yeah, in sure. a, a diesel vehicle. It's like there's going to be an end to the lifespan of that at some point. But. Maybe I think that. I think that a lot of households will end up being two vehicle families. It's going to make sense to have something like your Ram that can, because you try to tow an Airstream with an electric vehicle yeah. and your range is going to be very, very short. That's a good point. So maybe so, they kind of fall into the category of being very specialized vehicles. I think that's what will happen. I mean, over a hundred years ago, people wrote, they rode horses and they would draw their carriage with a horse and people thought, oh, it's the end of the horse. No one's going to own horses anymore. Lots of people own horses because they're a joy to ride. Sure. They become something of pleasure. They become something for a very specific task. Like if you are working on a ranch or whatever, and it'll be the same thing for internal combustion engines, they're not going to go away because, well, they may eventually, but right. it not likely within my lifetime because they have, they still have a very specific purpose. If you're in the middle of Africa where there is no infrastructure, there right. is no power infrastructure, you're going to need to have a diesel powered vehicle. And if you're wanting to tow a real heavy trailer like that, or over the road trucking is another challenge that sure. they're trying to overcome as well. So I think for a while, at least it'll be, it'll be that way, but the average consumer for the average commute, yeah, it's going to come pretty quick. Yeah. That makes sense in my mind. So yeah. All right. Well, let's, let's talk a little bit about the uh, 2022 Tacoma that you drove. And then there was also a factory available lift for that too. So. Yeah. So that was another recent test drive in Colorado. We were in the front range area, kind of Kenosha pass, Georgia pass around the Colorado trail. Um, so we took out the, we took a 2021 TRD pro Tacoma with Toyota's new factory lift kit. Mm. We took a 2022 Tacoma TRD pro a 2022 Tacoma Trail Edition and a 2022 Forerunner TRD Pro. So okay. we had all four of those vehicles out for th- three days of driving, and it was a great experience. I would I would say starting with the 2021 with the factory lift. Um, I don't recall exactly how much of a lift it gives you. I think it was it, a couple inches. Yeah, yeah. I think it basically it it brings the 2021 uh, up to the same lift and clearances as the 2022. Okay, or approximately around there. And I think like you talked about, it's it's a bit more of a leveling than anything because I think you get it's like an inch and a half in the front, maybe mm. a half inch in the back. Yeah. something like that. Um, it was very comfortable. I think as far as the comfort of the suspension, uh, it was very similar between the 2021 and the 2022. Although the 2022 has a new Fox suspension, I believe it is. And, and it was, that was the plush vehicle, uh, the 2022 with the Fox suspension. It was nice. so settled driving through obstacles. Um, you know, having big events like coming up onto rocks, coming down off of rocks, there was not a whole lot of bouncing around or or movement. It just yeah. felt settled is is the way I would describe it. Oh, and that's that's really nice for the driver too, because then you're not getting all of that head toss. The passenger's not getting thrown around. And sure. Yeah, it's it's definitely it's interesting because the the new Tundra is the same way. If you get the the TRD Pro Tundra, the ride quality improves quite a bit. Yeah. And and also we were just talking about hybrids, and the new TRD Pro only comes as a hybrid. So. So, I mean, you, you develop 583 foot pounds of torque from a hybrid drivetrain. So, oh, this is the Tundra. Yeah. The new Tundra. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. Other notable stuff about the Tacoma, I guess, stylings changed a little bit, Mm -hmm. you know, it's not performance related, but you know, now, now the badge is stamped in the rear quarter panel instead of a decal. 
you've got um, these machined red billet aluminum upper control arms that are like, <laughs> you see them from like 50 feet away, sure. peeking out from, you know, underneath the fender wells. What else? The badge has changed. It's like a little bit of a retro badge now. Some bright um, colors now too. Yeah. That bright, I think they call it electric lime mm-hmm. green, which you won't, you won't lose your truck in a parking lot. That's no, for sure. no, you won't. It's, it's amazing how polarizing <laughs> that is. I mean, Toyota is pretty well known for doing these bold colors, whether it's like, the I think Earth it's tones. great. Yeah, I, I think it's great. I love them too. I still, the lunar rock still is my totally. favorite out of the new colors that no they're question. doing. Yeah. But, um, love that color, but that electric lime is, is bright, but then feature wise, I mean, it's got all the stuff that we've kind of talked about. It's got the terrain select mode. So you can do rock and sand and there's probably a few a other mud. ones. Probably a mud. Mode, I think yeah. mud. Yep. And then there's even like a corrugations like yeah. type type setting. Um, I had it in the rock mode most of the time because that's what we were encountering on the trail. Sure. It was great. I had no traction issues. Uh, again, trying to use my abilities to yeah, sure. <laughs> manage that as well, you know, cause any vehicle will spin the wheels if you don't know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, just a really comfortable vehicle to drive overall. Yeah. Tacomas are so capable. Yeah. The size is just so nice, you know, especially now having the full size truck. Anytime I get back into a medium size truck, it's like, it, it feels like a sedan to me mm-hmm. and for tight, narrow trails. I mean, that's awesome. You're not worried about scraping up against things. You can get through narrower sections and it still had, I I was really impressed by the clearance that it had. I mean, we drove through a lot more technical terrain than I would ever want to attempt. Just, I I think it was to prove the vehicle's ability and it it did really well. And I had no issues, even in the the trail edition Tacoma, which was a pre-production model that we drove it. The locker wasn't working. Oh, and I didn't trail edition Tacoma, not a trail edition forerunner. Yeah. It was the trail edition Tacoma. So it's, that's a new new model. It is. Yeah. And it's, it's got these really handsome bronze rims Mm. and, um, you know, it's, it's mostly a styling thing. It's not quite as capable as the TRD pro in terms of all of the features that it has, but even on the pre-production model without the locker working, I did the all of the same obstacles as the TRD pro with the locker. Mm. And I didn't have any issues with wheel spin or, you know, and did it have multi trains select as well? I believe it did. Yep. Yeah. So then going into the rock mode would really, it would make the traction control pretty aggressive, which is good. So you can see why Toyota sells a quarter million Tacomas a year or more. I mean, it's just, they are so capable and they're so easy to modify huge aftermarket support and they don't need a lot of modification, like right out of the box. You can drive it around the world and just about any trail you can think of. So they're pretty impressive right out of the box. I was going to say based on that driving experience, I mean, it doesn't need anything, Yeah, you know, for again, like 95% of people are going to buy that. It's going to do everything you want you know, maybe adding some protection, a little bit of additional protection. Yeah. If you're going to take it on some more technical terrain, not a bad idea, but yeah, right. It's, it's kind of reminds me of like a Rubicon, right? It will do so much straight yeah. from the factory. You don't need to do anything. Yeah. There's so, yeah. Unless you're doing recreational rock crawling. I mean, if you're, if you're out traveling, it's going to be pretty hard to find something that's going to stop that truck for sure. Yeah. Oh, that's a cool one. So let's talk real quick about the Grand Wagoneer. It's, it's interesting for me because Jeep is very much targeting the expedition. They're tar- targeting the excursion customer. They're targeting the, uh, the suburban, the like Yukon, the, the large SUV market. Exactly. With a third row. And it is, it's a big vehicle and it also, it's a, it's a very capable truck overall. It's got all of that Jeep traction control hardware, all of that thoughtfulness that Jeep puts into capability. And it has an air suspension as well. Extremely luxurious on the inside. It's, it's also clear that they're targeting Range Rover customers as well, because this can be a hundred thousand dollar vehicle. If you, oh, wow. op- if you option it that way. Overall, it is it is a very comfortable vehicle. If you wanted to have like the luxury of a Range Rover, but not have maybe the impression that a Range Rover would give to people in your circle, mm-hmm. then something like a Grand Wagoneer is actually a great choice because it gives you all of that capability of a Range Rover, all of the luxury of a Range Rover, but then you don't have a Range Rover badge um, when you pull in your in your parking lot at it's work. A little you know? more understated maybe to- on the outside. Totally. Yeah. yeah. So it, overall, I was really impressed with the vehicle for what it is. Uh, it's important to note that it's not, it's, it's big. So, and it's going to be difficult to modify with it being independent front and rear suspension. So it's not going to get a lot of attention from the overland market. But I think for someone that's looking for a large vehicle to tow their boat and haul along a bunch of people, 
it's actually a really interesting uh, vehicle to consider. The only thing I, I thought that they could have done a little different was the wheel well is really small and the wheel well is also really low down on the belt line. So it, it actually doesn't make the vehicle look quite as athletic and, and adventurous as it could. If they just moved that wheel well line up higher, they could fit a larger tire yeah. from the factory. And I think it would really, it would offset some of that really tall belt line, particularly at, above the above the tires. So it would be nice to see that come in like a trail edition or a, you know, they've got all their different monikers that they use for trail performance, but to see some kind of a, of a trail hawk brand Wagoneer where they had a little bit larger wheel well and a larger tire, I think that would look really handsome on that vehicle. And it would also really improve the capability too. So nice. Now, is that, is that like a remake of that vehicle has been around, right? Correct. Yeah. They used to make a Wagoneer and a Grand Wagoneer and they are extremely popular even to this day. I mean, this is like the classic late seventies, eighties. Did it have like the wood paneling on the outside? Many of them did. The Grand Wagoneer in particular did have wood paneling, which is really fun. So, and those are super popular. They've been, they've been buying those up and restoring those um, with a lot of popularity. So it's fun to see Jeep bring back the Grand Wagoneer. Seems like a a trend in general, right? We've seen a lot of remakes of older vehicles and and a lot of them too much anticipation. And yeah, I mean, the Bronco is a great example of that. We did a whole podcast on the Bronco not that long ago. So you guys can check that out. But yeah, the Bronco, a, a great example of properly executed retro styling. It just from the front, it looks just awesome. So really fun one. Let's talk a little bit about your Ram. So as we're wrapping things up here, so sure. what model did you buy and what was kind of your first attack on modifications and things? So like we talked about at the beginning of the podcast, you know, we got the full size truck for towing. And so when it came down to towing and capability, we didn't want to be left wanting for any more power for any more capability. Mm. So we went with the, got the tradesman trim, which is the basic trim, which is pretty simple, but actually I've been really, I've been really impressed with it is it is surprisingly comfortable in its, you know, modesty. Mm. The seats are comfortable. It's got everything you need. We got a few little upgrades here and there, you know, bigger infotainment screen, things like that. But we, so as far as the engine, that's where we really invested our money. We got the Cummins, so the 6.7 liter turbo diesel, and it can pull 20,000 pounds. And the truck has a payload of somewhere in the neighborhood of, I think, 2,300 pounds, mm. maybe. I actually had one of our readers correct me on that because yeah. I, I published an article recently and I actually love that. I love being corrected. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's important. It's really important. I want to be kept honest with this stuff and I, I do my best to get accurate information, but um, yeah, I've got some really good feedback on that. But so I did, I published the first article on the truck on Expedition Portal, sort of talking about our reasoning behind it. Like I said, I wanted towing ability. And when we're pulling the 8,000 pound Airstream, it's it's almost like it's not there. I mean, you can literally go 90 on the highway, <laughs> no problem, which is incredible. Like it's a really fast Airstream. Yeah, exactly. We're often <laughs> passing people going uphill, pulling yeah. the Airstream, which um, we don't drive it recklessly, but the fact is it has no issues pulling. And um, well, you yeah. figure every sprinter that you pass is the better, the better campsite for you. So (laughs) (laughs) if we can beat them there, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But, um, you know, in, in addition, I think some of the other benefits of the diesel engine are you, uh, it used to be an option, but now the exhaust brake comes standard with the diesel engine, which is just, it is having driven an old RV previously that was all drum brakes and having the brakes overheat multiple times on descents. Scary. It's terrifying. Yeah. That's like your heart almost just falls out of your body when, yeah. when that happens. And so with the Ram with towing and the, the exhaust brake, it's like, you don't even have to touch the brakes. You can mm. put it in tow haul mode, turn the exhaust brake on, and it will go down some of the steepest grades without any brake input necessary, which is impressive. It's great. So what was the first couple modifications that you did? I think you just put some bumpers on. Yeah, we did some bumpers from Expedition One. They're based in Ogden, Utah. Um, they're an awesome company. They source all of their... Bumpers, yeah. Yeah. They're, it's, so the bumper is the Range Max Ultra HD. Um, I, I found it to be one of the best executed full-size truck bumpers. It's It doesn't look overly chunky and huge, mm. yet it has space for a winch. Um, we optioned ours with a full bull bar. So we have some more protection against animal strikes because, yeah. you know, for pulling the airstream going even just 70 and a deer jumps out, I'm not 
slamming on the brakes, yeah. you know, that's more dangerous than just keep going. Yeah. Um, so we've got the full bull bar. We've got a space for a winch. We've got plenty of pods for lighting. Uh, we've got additional clearance. It got rid of, um, it's like an air fairing. Sure. Air forget, dam. An air dam. Yeah. Mm-hmm. With getting rid of that and putting the new bumper on, we have extra clearance in the front. Um, and then the rear bumper is also pretty functional. It's got dual swing outs on the rear bumper so we can mount some accessories. So we're going to be putting a topper on the truck at some point, um, from RLD. And we're going to be able to mount a ladder on the swing out to easily get up on the roof of that to our racks, which will be good. Yeah. Um, and you can also pull the spare and put it on the back swing out as well. Although I tried that and I'm going to need to get a tongue extension for the airstream if we're going to do that, because it actually, it protrudes back a little too far and it kind of cuts our turning radius down significantly because yeah. of the, Chris um, Cortez had the same thing when he had the excursion. Yeah. Yeah. We kind of talked about that yeah. actually just the other day yeah. and, and his takeaway was, I'm just going to leave the spare underneath if, yeah. if I can. So, but yeah, I mean, and you know, in addition to being very functional, I think the bumpers look good. They they're look just, great. They're just good looking bumpers. Yeah. They've yeah. got a nice black powder coating finish. Um, yeah. It's kind of step one in our modifications to the truck. So, well, congratulations on the new vehicle and the air Stream. I mean, what a cool way to work and see the country from the road and all of that. And we're excited to see what you do next with it. We'll make sure we do a podcast as you finish up the, the project as well. So those that are listening, make sure you check out expeditionportal.com to see Matt's series of articles on his new truck. And then you can continue to follow my build of the Sierra 1500 diesel as well with the Scout Camper on the back. Matt, how do people follow you on social media so they can keep up with your what you're working on? Yeah. So, I mean, obviously I publish as much as I can on Expedition Portal. That's kind of the first place to find me. Um, But if you want to find me on Instagram, you can find me at m.b.swartz, my last name, S-W-A-R-T-Z. Or, you know, I share a little bit more of my personal adventures. And your dog and all the important stuff. Lots of dog photos on there. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Lots of paragliding stuff on there. So, Well, and if anybody wants to give Matt feedback or have some ideas for his new build, that's a great way to get a hold of him. You can reach me at scott.a. Brady on Instagram as well. And we will talk to you all next time.